A non-ordinary life requires a non-ordinary approach. Welcome to the Seer's Edge. My name is Juliette Trinka, and I'm here as your guide in living the full adventure and abundance that you came here to live. During my 20 years of practicing as a shaman, I've helped thousands of leaders to unlock their full potential and actualize their vision. What I know is that ritual, leadership, magic, and wealth are intrinsically woven together. This podcast is a discovery of living the full mystery of who you are while opening to deeper trust in life than you've ever allowed. Learn how you can make your quantum leap with us at getlifemastery.com. Would you love to begin by just exploring these gates with me? Sure. The first gate is coming in at the frequency of the future human. And even before anything else, I would just love to hear what comes forward in you when you hear that phrase. That's a packed phrase for me. It really lights me up. There's a bunch of things that come up for me. Number one, I mean, for the last decade, I've been working with people to help them bring forth their future human. I mean, that's what they came to me for in a therapy context. And I think it's a lot of what therapy is trying to do. Not unlike coaching's trying to do. I mean, as people come, they want, they see their future human and they realize there's something there and it can change quickly, change over time. But the future human business kind of feels like something that's been on my mind for, for since childhood. And then I also think about this mental health revolution. And to me, if when we're future humans, yeah, the world will be a different place. But what do you see? Oh, what do I see? I see people living their free, sovereign lives. People doing what they really, really desire. Like living from that truth, not hiding that anymore. Not in that codependent, deeply held pattern. That the more I live in this culture, the more I see it everywhere. I was watching a YouTube about a cat that knows language and uses buttons, and it couldn't push the button want. It kept putting its paw on it, and it was mad. It was really upset that its its caregiver hadn't come to it, and it kept flirting with pushing the button want, and it just, like, I feel it in my heart now. It was like it had trouble pushing the button want, and I thought, if a cat is in, indoctrinated with this, like, we really need to notice this. So, to me, as the future human, and push the want button proudly, freely. I'm, I'm like, I want. I feel like my cats would be okay with pushing the want button. Bad. Yeah, me too. The one sitting in the room here with me would completely be cool. But what I think is different about this cat is it's been taught language by humans now for a while, and its language capacity is unbelievable. And so I think it is no longer just its cat self. It's trying to communicate in human language, mm -hmm. which is... They're so, they're so, so radically intelligent. They really are. I don't, I don't think we've really tapped in. So it's almost another metaphor for us in that they are shocking us. I mean, there's researchers now watching dogs and cats do these buttons going like, 
no, this is not just memorization. Like mm-hmm. they are uniquely expressing. And so for us, we have this untapped capacity that we're just on the forefront of understanding to me all of the ways that we are so much bigger. So one of the maps held within this 19 gate, I love that the word codependence came in because the the shadow unintegrated expression of the 19 gate is codependency. So the map, the way the way that I understand it is you have the the unintegrated degraded form of the energy and then you actually have the skill that can transmute that energy into its true form, right? Like the superpower because all of the gates have their superpower expression to like the suggestion of this map is that to transmute from codependence to worthy sacrifice, that the skill is sensitivity. Wow, that worthy sacrifice. I was talking about this with my business partner this morning because we've really asked for things from the universe. We put out our intentions and we aligned our vibes. And so that it, it felt like the vibrational escrow bank account. Like we both put, you know, the, the safety deposit box, put two keys at the same time and just opened it and like uh-huh. it flooded in. And so that's amazing because that's what we asked for and it's happening. But also um, we're working a lot to sort of just settle that all in to what it looks like in, in our business. And we've been talking about this, what we're talking about here, like not laboring under this codependent self-sacrificing ideal because that'd be easy for us both we've talked about it but doing what you just said and you know it's so kind of on the verge of subconscious for me that i can't even remember the wordings could you say it again the worthy sacrifice thank you yeah so a couple things come forward for me like i wonder i wonder if it is actually easy for any of us to continue to operate within the boundaries of codependency and this frequency that says there's got to be drudgery um, and uh, duty. You know, I know duty can be held in a way that's actually very exalted, but for most of us, it's very heavy. It's like, is it easy or is it just familiar? Yeah, those were the words. For me, the word known it's just known. It's like any habit. It's hand in glove, effortless, insidious. So it's not easy at all. And you've really helped me see the difference between comfort and ease. Mm-hmm. It is not easy. No, it, in fact, from ease is was the vibration that all that dropped in with. Yes. And then yes. my, my human mind with patterns went like, oh, wow, how do I manage all this? And it's like that right there begins the the journey out of ease managing into familiar drudgery yeah i'm almost wondering in this future human reality if all of us entrepreneurs all of us who are running businesses actually have like i see a ceremony where we hire a cosmic manager i'm very visual right so like i'm seeing like the the team meeting or the boardroom meeting and there's actually a chair for the cosmic manager, there's not a body there, but there is a presence 
right? And so like anytime I'm getting caught up in managing something, I can just be like, oh, I just need to tell the universal manager, the cosmic manager, they'll take care of it. I love it. It's a classic psychotherapeutic technique to use an empty chair in different ways. And so it's reminding me of that, the power of that uh, empty chair and just mixed in with, yeah, to know that there's that cosmic manager to check in with. I love it. And yeah. The capital S self-advocate. Mm -hmm. I think it's it's really fascinating because when you and I are in this space of relating to the future human, which you also embody, like the the path forward that is the path of fun and the path of play is just so easily available. Yeah. It feels like a ease for me leads to another, a whole wellspring of fun, joy. The cosmic manager for me, their biggest role at this point for me to keep being a future human and leading future humans and guiding them would be that the cosmic manager would need to help me about ease because it just opens the door to all the things you're talking about. And as you're speaking, I'm also remembering something from Bhutan, you know, the country Bhutan. Yes. I haven't like seen anything about this, but I assume that they're still doing it, that inside of their government, they created something called gross national happiness. Mm. And so they started to orient all of their policy decisions to actually being able to assess gross national happiness and that that was more important than the gross national product. And like that feels like a very future self activity and it starts right inside of our own businesses and inside of our homes, right? How much fun did we have this week? You know, how, how many times did we give a genuine compliment? How many times did we receive a genuine compliment and just, just take it? I love that. It's making me think about bringing on a launch manager mm -hmm. and how we're in the early phases of getting things clear to me to communicate to them. And what I've said is sort of, if in doubt, is it your zone of genius and do you feel all the things that come with that? Like, and if it's not noted for delegation, like we can start there because that to me, and I, I really see how I've brought on this person who has like hugely who has these big vibes and who is fun. I was on her Instagram the other day and there's just this video of her figure skating and singing. Mm -hmm. Just and actually in hockey skates. Figure skating and hockey skates and singing to the to the camera. And I showed my husband, I was like, yes, this is Allison. And he's like, well, why is she doing this? And I said, I don't know. Fun? Like, I don't know. Yeah. And people seem to know the music. I'm not a high school musical fan, but they knew, I don't even know it, but they knew all the music. And so people, but it was just like, yes. She embodies this kind of fun. And I, my business partner is a play therapist. So I have surrounded myself. And it's a reminder. It's almost like I have a committee of what you were naming, of empty chair sitters. And it's like I've gravitated towards other people to mirror back to me. Remember fun. Oh, yeah. I don't think I allowed myself. I was so serious for so long. Yeah, it's uh, been like a split personality situation for me because is that even true i mean i guess what i'm saying is they feel very distinct like i have a very very silly side to me i love to play and the the growth edge is often like how much can i keep that expression of me in the room 
even when I'm really, really serious about like, this is happening, you know, like I'm in, I'm committed, I'm devoted, we're doing it. Having those two play together and support each other is a really wild ride because I, I feel like, you know, I've internalized all these indicators that you can't have both. I'm glad you were nuanced about that because as I was thinking about it, it was that I made a distinction between my work administration personality and the rest of my life. So in sessions with mm. clients, I often, humor just comes to my mind as an example. Yes. Like here's that yes. and people were laughing and it's also this way to deepen into connection and also be very real because some of my humor is kind of twisted and people usually like it. They're like, yeah, mm. now you're a real person. And at home, my husband and I, we riff constantly. Like mm -hmm. my husband is hilarious and that's something that we have. But it's like work administration. The actual leadership role that can have this amazing beauty to it, that part of me has oriented to it with seriousness. And so I don't need to do that, but I'm hearing it out loud. But I, I'm glad you nuanced it because it's that one area. Yes. And this is um, so common that really awakened revolutionary, powerful, successful leaders. It is. It's like my whole life is like this. And then there's this one spot. I mean, what gets to be fun about that is that it's really not in in that circumstance. It's it's no longer about problem solving. There's no dysfunction. It's really just like, well, what else could happen if I gave my whole life to fun, to twisted humor? Even as the the one that knows how to do the accounts and administrate is still here. I can see a session I've done before actually in teaching something. I was teaching and modeling something. And this part of me showed up in it that was like wearing an 80s business suit, briefcase. Very like, you know, the arms from Saturday Night Live. Remember the woman, Mary Margaret something? And she would keep those arms like really rigid. Yes. Yes. Okay that had these rigid arms pacing around and then there was this like fun playful kind of flower child in there being like whoa you just need to chill and so it was all about integrating those so it's coming up for me now i see that that one part of myself that we're talking about but how what would it be like if my whole life were fun yeah this is the stuff that i really love to geek out on as you know because what i then get curious about is this like very stiff-armed administrator. Yeah. Where do you feel her on the seven levels of consciousness? Do you remember when we were talking about that outside of this conversation? Yeah. Where where do you feel like she's at? Well, you know, I'm very visual too. So you were saying yeah. you're visual. As you were just talking, I was both listening to you, but seeing her like take off the, the coat. She just took off the business jacket. And she let the, this was all happening spontaneous. She put down the briefcase and started like dancing um, with this playful part. And so I would say she was really in survival, but now it's like the dancing is oriented towards the other person. It's very, she wants a community mm -hmm. connection. It's like fun with. And when I saw this vision before, it was the fun part of me kind of like in front of her, like, hey, I'm here. Like, can you remember fun? Now it's like she's having fun with dancing freely and really funny. So, but together, and I can't remember the names of all the levels, but it was very survival before. 
Right. Now there's a freedom and a community and a like a, yes, let's dance together. And I want to dance yes. really. Yeah. Oh my gosh. I'm, uh, my son is a Seinfeld fan, even though he is 11. So I don't know if you have this recall because I hadn't seen these scenes until he started watching, but Elaine's dancing. Oh, amazing. Like, that's what came into my mind. Well, that's how I would have thought she would dance. And that's the cool significance is that she's all arms, but in like a good, you know, in like a, yeah. in a wild sort of um, dancing way and not like Elaine. I would have thought like if she had burgeoned into dancing before with the briefcase, uh -huh. it would have been real rigid, but it's not like that now. She's really like letting it all hang out. But yeah, <laughs> but I know Elaine. I love Seinfeld. That was my childhood. Not only was it my childhood show, but I lived in a Hasidic Orthodox Jewish neighborhood. Wow. I'm very uncultured into Jewish culture. So that I can only imagine like the the other levels of like pleasure and delight and humor that get to be there for you because you were living inside of that experience. Oh my gosh. Yeah. My parents live in what essentially is Del Boca Vista mm -hmm. in uh in West Palm Beach, Florida, half the year. So mm -hmm. it knows the show well. And they think that can't be right. This is impossible. My husband's like, I didn't think people like this were really doing this kind of thing until I visited your parents. And it was amazing. Mm -hmm. It's like, yeah, they should have a sitcom. Mm -hmm. So it's close mm -hmm. to my heart. And those arms. Yeah. So no, in my mind, what I can see is she's way more fluid. Yes. Yeah. Well, and so there's the embodiment piece as well, right? Like if you notice that you're coming into manager mode and you know as we're speaking this i'm i'm also wanting to explicitly invite anyone who's listening because we are mirrors for each other right and if it works for you that like when you feel yourself getting tight and bound and into that straight jacket of administration that you just start like dancing with your arms in this like elegant amazing way that that could be so for anybody who is listening to this conversation. Oh, yeah. And what's coming up for me is how I used this the other day in a session. And it was that movement and embodiment is a back door. So even if the mind's like really entrenched in something, if you move your body in the position that you know from your from experience is a way to open, to be playful, mind what immediately necessarily follow but you do it for a moment and it can be any position it can mm -hmm. really be a power pose it can be an open stance at first it's like this is not congruent but quickly everything aligns so i think that's a wonderful piece of feedback and it's amazing because you can put keywords to it you can put imagery mm -hmm. it's just a it's a hack really mm -hmm. when we're feeling stuck yeah absolutely um it brings to mind uh liz coke she is very clear that she's not a body worker but i i learned so much from her when i was a body worker her work focuses on the body it is um very rooted in physiology and movement but part of what i appreciate about her and i feel like i hold this perspective you hold this perspective is that there's something very important in allowing things full expression versus suppressing or demonizing um or excising <laughs> and so she the language that she has that i really love is she's like give it a gesture 
And she's saying the same thing that you're saying. Like, it can be helpful sometimes to say, you know, here's the mudra. This embodies this particular energy. It's a reliable container of physicality for me. But actually, for, with her work, as I understand it, it's like just letting yourself come into the moment and to relate to what's happening and then just give it a natural expression, right? You didn't come from the head and say, oh, that administrator needs to move her arms. You just noticed her arms and you allowed for that expression. Oh, this yeah. is so, so, so powerful. Like this is spiritual efficiency, right? People, I'm I'm sure you've witnessed this like, can, and I've been this person sometimes like, going around for hours or days or weeks, like, I don't know what to do. It's not clear, whatever. It's all right here. Oh, yeah. To me, as I'm looking, what's this next chapter and what am I contributing to this mental health revolution? It is that. It's this roadmap is in you, if you want to call it a roadmap. The knowing is there. It's under the conditioning and letting it express itself. Mm -hmm. that's that's it i mean that is what you helped me do back in may right i did what wasn't aware it was buried pretty deep therapist expanded like it was it was in there in some way likely but it wasn't conscious and i needed i needed to give myself permission to go below what i thought was possible below any of the constraints and that's really the work and i see with therapists oh my goodness i just feel so much love because I've been there too. It's this head-driven, get more trainings, go get more Ugh. certifications. I know it's so, I just want to give everybody a hug and like give them their, you're not an imposter sticker, like to, to wear it and just know. But it it is how we've been uh, indoctrinated to wait for a powerful other to say, you're ready, you're good enough, you can stop searching now. And the... The reality is just looking inwards in the way you're talking about, we have everything we need. We're healers, we're, we heal ourselves. We know mm -hmm. it's buried sometimes under what my husband likes to call layers of beer and cake. <laughs> and I think about it. It's so like, there's another map. There's another map. How many layers do I have over this, this brilliant map of gold? And what do I name those layers? Yeah. Yeah. And it's always fascinating. I mean, I know this isn't um, unique in any way, but a couple months back, I went on a total social media fast. Like I, I really was, I was on calls like this, but that was it. Even though it wasn't really difficult, it was fascinating to feel again, like that embodied mechanism to just pick up the phone and pick up the phone and, and, like I'd pick it up and be like, no, and set it back down. So it's it's so interesting how ready those mechanisms are to come online that just create another layer. Yes. The, and it's such a gift, our automaticity, our, our habitual nature, such a gift so we can put stuff on autopilot and really focus on what, what we're here to do. But mm. they get conflated, I think. For sure. The what we're really here to do, you could ask, everyone you've ever met and they would tell you something different but that habitual thing is great you can just let it go unconscious but it's great about brushing your teeth it's not great about living your entire life if we come 
all the way back to the worthy sacrifice. Do you see anything? Like, I, I want to come present to that moment where you and your business partner were energetically both putting the keys in and turning them at the same time. Do you see anything, whether it was conscious or unconscious, that you did set down, sacrifice as you stepped across that threshold? Well, I'm thinking of the way that her and I debated the word sacrifice and thinking about what does it mean. And for her, what was coming up was the idea of sacrificing her old self to source. Mm -hmm. And I thought, huh, because I don't love the word sacrifice. So I was trying to reorient to it. Ooh, I'm, I'm excited that it's like a, yeah, has some friction to it for you. It has a drudgery and like a self-sacrificing, you know, and even when I thought about her analogy, I heard like human sacrifice and I was kind of like, okay, I'm, I'm in <laughs> needs here. Like I can't, I couldn't kind of see sacrifice in a new way, even just the, the vibes of the word. But when I think about that, that's what this period is for me right now is seeing where the drudgery still exists and then going, oh, I needed to see that. And I sacrificed that now. Yes. Yes. And yeah. I loved that you explicitly mentioned that your business partner was making the sacrifice to source. In the shamanic training that I've had, ceremony is king and queen. You know, everything is ceremony and it's really tied in with this very understanding that as human beings, we're wired for greatness. We are wired for greatness. We all have the capacity to go all the way, whatever that looks like. And every next threshold into greatness that we step over requires sacrifice. Like it's just like breath is required for being alive. And we now have these cultural structures that don't really understand that. It's like we're self-sacrificing, but it's actually like a very intelligent mechanism just going sideways. Yeah. And we're sacrificing, we're doing that self-sacrifice to something that can't deliver, you know? And that's, that's codependency, right? Mm -hmm. I'll try to self-sacrifice myself for my partner or my boss, essentially unconsciously making them God. But, you know, your partner and your boss can love you so much they still can't be God. They can't give you what is yours. And the moves away from center are sacrificing more and more what is yours, like giving away, not utilizing. You, you helped me to see something there, which is that at each of those thresholds, when we have maybe the ants crappingly scared fear mm -hmm. that we are sacrificing something, the old yes. self, the old yes. stories, the old whatever to move forward but the culture will often say when you meet that then you shouldn't go any further but this greatness that's built into us just means we're going to keep meeting that and we sacrifice the old self yes yes this is so so important like the language that often comes for me is the terror barrier and it's it's like i'm i'm actually going to be doing an episode on pleasure because it it's just like so important that we feel pleasure but pleasure isn't the absence of pain or friction. And and I think that gets so missed because people will come up to a certain threshold. They're like, this doesn't feel good anymore. This must not be for me. This is a sign that I need to stop or that I need to do something different. And it's like, uh-uh. It's, it's just calling you to 
deepen your skill, right? Because that friction met with skill is pleasure. Oh, yeah. I see the image. I said this in one of my podcast episodes. I see the image of me and fear collaborating in that moment where I've become a person who wants to go towards that edge and be like, okay, mm-hmm. not every moment has been easy. There's been times I've pulled away and then went, wait, what am I doing? No, no, no. Go to the edge. Look off the cliff. And I sort of see fear that looks a lot like fear from inside out. Passing me a parachute. And I put a parachute on and I strap it on and then I jump off. And what at the in the moment feels like terror, it's like I imagine it would be when you start to just soar in quiet and you see a landscape that you're just, you know, flying over. Mm-hmm. That what was terrifying becomes this immersive, grounding, beautiful experience. And I've seen something similar in doing that. Like, going to the terror barrier, as you call it, and just being like, okay, I'm going to I'm gonna cross it. This reminds me of something a mutual friend of ours shared. She does a lot of heart work and actually uses the heart math heart monitor, right? That will like literally give you real-time feedback on your heart coherence. She shared this story with me like months and months, maybe even a year after we started working together, that when she first said yes to the container that we worked in together. She was so, like, she felt like she was burning alive, you know, like the terror barrier. It was happening. And she said she went home and and put on the heart math monitor because she was certain that her coherence would be all out of whack. She said she has never had such a high reading of coherence. It's the same thing, whether we're talking about heart coherence or greatness or just shifting the set point of your consciousness where you tend to hang out it's that thing saying yes 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 yeah the deeper self throwing a party and just the the ego scared yeah and sort of dying and you've put that into a way sort of dying sort of dying right so it's not gonna be like just dying yeah nothing's actually dying Dying and then turning. I see this phoenix transformation. Yes. yes. It's like, it's instant. It's instant. Yeah. yeah. So, of course, that's not a pleasant experience for that human ego self, but it's not a bearing on whether it is. It is, period, full sentence. And it's not a barrier, a, a bearing on whether it's for us mm-hmm. deeply. Yeah. Okay. I have a question. And as always, you can say yes or no. Is there any truth that you could share that would be like a mini version like a little cliff to jump off of i just know that you're you're just arriving with like deep wells of wisdom and i also really experience you as this like next person right you're building the future culture you're being the future human so is there is there anything that you're like, I don't know if they're ready for this, but it's real. This is the truth that you want to speak. The truth that I think is, well, that I know is real and that's hard to hear is that every single story we tell ourselves about what other people are thinking, wanting from us, how they'll be impacted from us going for greatness, none of it is true. Every time we tell ourselves a story about someone else, a reason we should or shouldn't do something, it's never about them. And it is exclusively 
about us. It's like the the comedic title that I have for what you just said is you're a liar and it's okay. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> I yeah, I just saw like blog posts and like all these right, right. things out. But to spread that message, you're a liar and it's okay. And that seems to be part of how ego works. It tells you know, a lot of lies and they seem convincing, but oh, they're very compelling. None of it is ever about anyone else. Mm-hmm. So if anyone's listening and they're telling themselves about how inconvenient for someone it would be for them to really jump off that cliff, yeah, you're lying and it's okay. And I, d- I just want to like hold a space for all the other things that are happening inside of us that we can also own and understand that they're okay. Like you're lazy and resistant and that's okay. You're a fraidy cat sometimes, and that's okay. Yeah. I see the brain. I just, I'm looking at the human brain, which is mm-hmm. just some of the hardware we're working with here in 3D. You know, you have a limbic system, you're going to want to be lazy sometimes. And if you have an amygdala, which you do, you're going to be afraid <laughs> sometimes. Like, you just, it's just a little alarm bell. And sometimes it goes, oh, whoops, my bad. I, I rang it. We didn't need to. You got into the moment, and now we remember. Okay. Mm-hmm. Sorry, like it just makes mistakes. You know, it just screws <laughs> up. It's primitive. And I feel like according to its own reality, it makes perfect sense. Well, because if it makes lots of what we call type one errors, like the place where it's like, the, is that a rock or a lion? I think it's a lion. Uh-huh. Our, our ancestors in human evolution came from the like false alarmers. The ones who went, eh, I'm going to pick some flowers. It might be a lion, but I'm cool. They may not be who we evolved from, right? So oh. it, if you asked it, if you talked to your amygdala, which you could do, I mean, you you can talk to anything, it mm. would probably say, like, I'm just doing my job, man. I'm supposed to make lots of mistakes around that, and I'm cool with making errors there because I'm keeping you surviving. Uh-huh. See, there's that beautiful survival mode consciousness. I think it would be unapologetically like, I'm doing my job. You, you're the one with the thinking capacity. You need to tell me if I'm making errors. That's all. Can I ask you about breakthrough? Sure. Uh, so again, what what's the first thing that comes hearing that word? What's coming now is it relates to what we were just talking about, about like you asked me to say something that was like kind of a mic drop, let's say. It's when something deeper makes its way through those layers. And it's like, I cannot unsee that now. I cannot unknow that. It made its way through, I lovingly what I'll call lies. And it was like, now the sun is shining on it. It is the sun parting the clouds. And you can't unsee it and it changes your world. Even if it's two words, it doesn't actually need to be measured in in how in any other way than it has that quality to me. That's a breakthrough. It broke through like the sun coming through the clouds and it was like, oh, yeah, okay, I'll never be the same. I can't go back now. Mm -hmm. Can't unknow that. I can try it. And I have certainly tried. I can (laughs) Yes, I think think that is a very relatable experience. Can can I still live the same way even now that I really, really feel that in my bones? Yeah, I have an example if you'd like me to share. I'd love it. I'd love it. 
Okay. This was probably about 10 years ago. Yeah, it was 10 years ago. I moved to the Northwest Territories with my very young daughter as a single mom. And it was an interesting experience, but very quickly on moving there, I went to her daycare center one day and suddenly I saw my future husband and he was sitting across the room. I'd never seen him before and the whole room went gray and it was like the Akashic record open. It was like mm-hmm. I suddenly saw all of this, what I couldn't make sense of, but it was like I saw and felt past, future, the moment. It was like I know him, I've known him, and I'll know him again. And it wasn't, him isn't even the right word. It was like a soul-to-soul connection. Not on the surface, and I went, oh my God, that scared the crap out of me. I'm just going to go like hide, because that didn't happen. And then I would show up at the babysitters on Friday when he'd be there, and I'd be unconsciously primping in the mirror and I'd, <laughs> I'd close the mirror and be like, what are you doing? No, I disciplined myself out of that. And I'd walk inside there. He'd be cold shouldering it, but it didn't matter. It was bigger. It was bigger. So things kind of conspired to where I was needing help one day because I was, somebody was trying to break into my house, mm-hmm. the place. And he was the first person to walk through the door to help me. And I was like, okay, this is weird. But from there, it was like it didn't matter. He was somebody for me in my life. And that was the most like glaringly obvious. You can't avoid it. Not one of those intuitive things where it's like, did that happen? Hmm. That could have been a coincidence. Maybe that was, no, that happened. And uh, I tried to run from it and there was sort of no way to do that. Yes. Uh, I just feel that really, really deeply. Because I have my own stories, very clear stories of doing that, of just tucking tail and turning the other way. And hilariously, it still won't work. So I love what you're saying because breakthrough, as I'm hearing you speak it, is not just an experience, but it is a shift in reality. It's like the destiny line just got nudged. There's no going back. And there is such a generosity and a mercy in that and remembering our own stories about that because it really is true that if it's for you there's nothing you can do about it you don't have to go chasing what is for you you don't have to like contort yourself or do a magic trick or something it's like it's here and it's just like will you stay and and open and receive well there's great ease in that and knowing you can walk through life and what's for you, it's coming for you in the best way. It's coming forward. And so the mining and the searching, and we are in an incredibly self-development-focused culture, which has amazing perks. But where does it, where does ease come in? Because what's ruling for us, you know, the sun is going to come through the clouds. When I used to teach mindfulness to like early learners of mindfulness, you know, of course we're all mindful, but it was like trying to change the inner landscape in the way that many of us do is about as futile as trying to climb the tallest building and move the clouds Mm -hmm. to see if I can do something with them. But early in meditation, many of us find our mind doing that. Like, can I move this thought? How about I get rid of it? Let's do this. And it, it made me think about how... If it's for us, it's just going to come through the clouds Uh peacefully. 
may not feel easeful when it's happening, may not feel easeful after, but that's the piece of like, once it's here, you can't unsee it. Yeah. And so this is the 43 gate, the gate of breakthrough, which, you know, in, in your architecture, they would say like, this is your unconscious motivation. This is what is always calling you, drawing you forward, whether you know it or not, and whether you think you're doing it or not, you're doing it. And the map is everything you've been speaking, that the unintegrated is deafness. And I feel that both like intentional and and also how we unintentionally, like we just don't know. We don't know that it's already here. My future husband is standing right in front of me. Like you didn't know until you knew. It sounds like it was fast. Right. Yes, exactly. And that the the skill that gets us to like how how it's languaged in this gate is epiphany, which I really love. But that it's insight, developing the skill of insight. I love it. Again, both because it feels true, but also because I experience it so much in you that when we're willing to become curious, instead of focusing on what we know, or I mean, even clarity sometimes as awesome as clarity is, it's like, what more could I know about this? You know, uh, and so I guess that's my next question is what what are your favorite ways to help others develop insight, to develop your own insight? Because you've got some natural skills, clearly. Well, I would say the number one thing is learn to be with sensation. Because it's that barrier that... There's a couple of things I want to say there. To get into the the vastness of our being and our unconscious and the collective unconscious and our, you know, the field, there can be a sensation involved. And there can be a sensation that is the terror barrier just before you go into the vastness of what who we really are, what we really are, what everything really is. The letting go into that can and almost always does at some point have an intense sensational block or mm-hmm. ring stop. Don't go any further. You will die. And it's like, I'm going to try it. I know, I've never died, but I certainly have sat in very intense sensation. And I would say that that would be the thing that, you know, as you asked it, it came very clearly because just on the other side of that intense sensation is insight mm-hmm. is something trying to birth forward even when our mind i love how gay hendrix talks about this that our mind will go to a sweaty disaster scenario and it's mm-hmm. like we'll often get wrapped up in that and there's there's sensations and it's like but actually if we just rewind the tape a little bit just before that upper limiting there was something trying to be birthed through and actually that kind of yucky sensation and thought and all that was the block it was or not the block it was kind of a distraction so either way you go any way you go i find that if people can learn to be with sensation your entire experience opens up there was a period of time where i was holding yin yoga classes but we were specifically incorporating these sorts of things into the class and it was amazing. And we might resurrect it at some point because it's exactly what you're saying. It's like, 
it was a clear distinction between a yoga class that's meant for pure relaxation, which is wonderful and super important, but to actually go all the way to the edge of your sensation while you're supported and be there and just be there and continue to be there and be present with all that's happening. I had people, this was way back in the bodywork days, but they had more shift and change in their bodies from those yoga sessions than even our body work, which was very high quality body work. But I think it was this aspect of participation that it it's like you are both being held and participating in this sensational relationship. You've had an important layer there, which is that if you can be held in a container of some sort, amazing. And if you're doing this on your own spontaneously, or that's your practice, holding yourself with compassion. But yeah, because I'm saying this like, you know, sensation and why this changed my experience so much and what you're calling this natural ability, maybe run towards fear and have these. It was a natural ability that I was born with. I remember being a little kid, being a super spiritual, curious kid. Then I experienced a lot of trauma. And so there's a lot of sensation. So to kind of back to knowing this took being with that sensation and, and one of the experiences that really changed my life was going to a silent Vipassana sit. Huh. Yeah. Hell and heaven all at once. <laughs> yeah. Locked in that phone booth with a lunatic and uh, God. It felt like both. I don't know if people want to do that. I, I highly recommend it. It's an intense baptism by fire, but you certainly learn how to hold your mind, your body, your experience differently. I did anyway. Yeah, exactly. I mean, that is something that I really believe that trauma is only incomplete initiation or baptism. You know, like I love that you use that word because something was trying to happen and for some reason it didn't get the opportunity to. So it's like stuck in our physiology, in our psychology, in our energy. What we're talking about today just means everything to me. And what you added is the key, truly, that all that trauma really, really needs to resolve is just support. It hits the you know, in therapy, we do a lot of research and everything points to it doesn't really matter what you do. It's that you do it in an actual relationship that feels like a relationship. Yeah. It's the experience of if you've ever been with someone and they're telling you something and they suddenly cry and they're like, I don't know why I'm crying. Mm -hmm. I told the story a hundred times, but it's the supportive presence that you're providing in that moment is all that's needed for resolution. Mm-hmm. And we can give it to ourselves in the form of self-compassion and we can be held in a container, which is so nourishing. That feels like a beautiful place to bring it to an end. Is there anything else you want to share? Well, I'd love to tell the listeners that you, Juliet, hold a beautiful container. Thank you. You're welcome. And that I'm going to provide you with what you asked at the beginning which was oh great what do you want me to tell people i'm gonna send you stuff so people want to hear my podcast and uh, riffing conversations on similar but different topics especially if they're helpers anyone listening is a professional helper which i imagine bye bye sure 
then there's that there. But yeah, I wanted to end with talking about how you and your container has been life-changing for me. Mm, thank you. It's interesting. It's just so much energy to hold, to just love and be loved. Thank you so much. I'm really grateful that we get to do this. 